From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we survive a roller coaster week of Guardians baseball. Luckily, we have the Browns to provide some much needed stability <laughs> and calm. On the road, we talk NBA conference finals and a champion crowned in the XFL. Off the field, we solve problems and we take our shot at resolving the current writer's strike in Hollywood. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Denko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, did you do something nice for your mom today? I did something nice for my mom yesterday. I, I brought the boys over to her house. We spent all day with her. It was a good time. Uh, and I followed that up with the with the uh, Happy Mother's Day call today. Well done. I did. I I drove in and saw her uh, with the family today for a little bit. So I, that's nice, right? Make the effort. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, of course. That's the definition of nice, man. I My wife sent a package to my mom and signed my name on the card. And I Beautiful. called my mom today. Oh, Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I nice. called her. Bases I called her on covered. Mother's Day. Yeah. <laughs> I had a say in some of the gifts that were chosen, you know. But yeah, obviously, wonderful day, Mother's Day to all the moms, wives who are moms, moms who are moms, everybody out there. Have a great Mother's Day. We are going to close it out by recording, hopefully, a great podcast. So here we go. We are going to start at home in the land with our Guardians week cap, our look back at the last week of Guardians baseball. The Guardians are a bad baseball team until they aren't. The Tigers came to town earlier in the week and played like Miggy was 30, not 50, and took two of three off the guards. The Angels came to town for the weekend and took a close one on Friday before Josh Naylor saved the season Saturday in the eighth, and in a tight game Sunday, Naylor saved Mother's Day with another eighth-inning home run. Guards are inching back towards 500, 19-21 at the end of this week, still second in the AL Central. This week, good cap, bad cap, mad cap, sad cap. What's your weak cap? <laughs> I love baseball for the fact that it can turn around pretty quickly. Like, I feel really good over the last two days. But the, but leading up to that, I felt horrible. It's still a team that, that, that gets shut down by pitchers that shouldn't be shutting this team down. I think it speaks more to just how challenged this offense has become. But then... You know, yesterday happens and today happens. And, and you see, like, it's so fun being a fan, right? Like, all you need is one big jack, a team that doesn't hit a whole lot of home runs, and literally one guy's carrying them on their back for three games. Uh, timely home runs excite me again. So I don't, I'm not as sh shitty mouth as I was earlier in the week, I guess. You know, I got some good pitching this week, but overall, still issues. But man, it's nice to see home runs. My week cap is similar to last week's week cap. It's even Steven, three and three, but not the way that I thought it would happen. It was Jekyll and Hyde and the, the series against the Tigers. I think they amassed uh, two runs, two runs and zero runs, something like that. And we're lucky to get out of there with a win and then turned it completely around, but waited until the eighth inning in all three games against the, the yeah. Angels. And I think I think Naylor actually hit a home run in all three eighth innings in that series, which is some, yeah. some sort of record. He did. <laughs> yeah, right. Some yeah, sort of record, be. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I agree with Chuck. Like I feel good about it. You know, a little bit of recency bias because of the way the, the week ended. Yeah. Like the, We should have really won all three of the games against the Angels. And, yes. and they're obviously the much better team 
of the, of the two we faced this past week. And I was watching too until late in the game today. We had we had held uh, um, Otani and Trout to one hit apiece, and then Otani got his second hit late in the game. Classy looked shaky again, but got through it. So my recap is uh, even Steven moving on. It was amazing to see how they handled Trout and Otani all weekend long, really minimized the impact that those guys had. And it's scary when they come up to hit, man. Uh, you, you really worry, especially if you're only winning by a run or you're winning maybe by two runs or you're, you know, you're in a situation where they could blow a game open. Those guys are frightening. Overall, I'm I'm with you guys. It feels great to get two exciting wins this weekend. It's an amazing moment when it's the eighth inning this afternoon and Naylor does it again. And you're like, there's no way. This guy did not just hit another huge home run to put us ahead in a game in the eighth inning. Like, that's crazy. That's a lot of fun to watch. I'm hoping that this weekend shows the bats are coming back to life because I think the pitching is mostly there, although Class A makes me a little bit nervous. But they hit the ball pretty well all three games this weekend. It's not a great staff, but it's not a bad one. And to be able to get a lot of hits, even if they weren't necessarily scoring a ton of runs, hopefully this is what turns the corner. And I, I think back to last season – on a Sunday night or a Monday night when we were recording and Naylor hit a grand slam in Chicago to tie the game in the top of the ninth and then hit a home run in like the 11th to win it. And that feeling that like the season started rolling around that time and and here he is doing it now. And maybe these are the games that snap him out of this funk and, and, and get him headed in the right direction. So it's fun to be a baseball fan today. Let's move on. How about our Guardians Goodwood of the Week? Who is your favorite hitter for the guards? Ahmed Rosario. Just when we were about to start talking about trading him, he hit 458 this week. He had 11 hits and two triples. Uh, steady Stephen Kwan, 273, three doubles, three walks. I got to mention him. Josh Big Nads Naylor hitting 214 this season. And no one cares. (laughs) Big Nads had a big week in a weekend. Three home runs, seven RBI, three ecstatic hammy home run calls. Last one, Ma'am Zwalliger, Mike Zanino and Cam Gallagher for the entire week combined for zero hits. In six baseball games, our catchers had zero hits. Who's getting your good wood of the week? I'm going to give it to Ahmed Rosario. This guy, he put together 11 hits in six games after it's like the reverse curse of the, of the FTL. Like after we're shitting on him a little bit and he yeah. was, and he was struggling. I mean, you know, but really turn it around this week. He had, like you said, two triples, two doubles. This was, this is what we need out of that guy. Uh, so I, I, that's, that's probably one of the better hitting weeks we've seen in this young season. It's probably the best hitting week for a Guardians player ever, but I'm not going to give it to him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's great to see that dude swing the bat. Hopefully, it continues not at that torrid pace, but we constantly underestimate him as a hitter. Sometimes I got to go with Naylor, man, because like they're not winning games or in these games unless he hits those home runs. Especially, I mean, even though they lost on uh, Friday, he hit one off a lefty, and apparently he can't hit lefty pitching ever. So that was yeah. great to see. And then he does it again the next night, and he does it again today. 
streaky hitter or not that he, he literally put them on his back for this series. And you take two or three from, from a pretty good baseball team. I give it to that guy. If he went from 214 to 223, that's great. But the three home runs, I'm assuming he doubled his home run production in this series because I don't, I don't know how many he had coming into it, but I guess he's sitting probably at six or seven right now. Yeah, I think he might be at six. I think you're right. I think he did double his production. Would it have killed you to call him Big Nads so we could get that <laughs> no, thing no, going? That's, man, man, come on. I'm all for Big Nads. <laughs> Help a brother out here, man. <laughs> Both of those guys were absolutely awesome. I'm going to go with Stephen Kwan just because – this was a week where I actually got to watch a lot of the games and I just love watching this guy hit. I love how professional his at bats are. I love how he's always working account. He never makes mistakes. He never swings at pitches out of the zone. He's just so good and consistent every single game at bat to at bat to at bat. I just love it. Um, so Stephen Kwan gets my good wood, but there are no wrong answers unless you're looking at our catchers because there were three or four guys that had good weeks. And you know what? Like J-Ram had a pretty good week. Josh Bell had a pretty good week too. I mean, like he, you start stacking these games together and all of a sudden this offense starts to look a little bit more, I think, like we hoped it would. How about we throw back to our K Jewelers Mound Gems? Every K begins with K. Who is your favorite pitcher of the week? Shane Bieber. 1-0, no earned runs, 9Ks in his only start. Tanner Bibby. Wow, I said it wrong. Tanner Bybee roughed up a little against Detroit, but bounced back for a dominant no decision against the Angels this afternoon. He was really, really good today. Uh, Nick Sandlin made three appearances this week. He pitched four innings, gave up no runs. Opponents hitting .083 against him. James Karinchek, three appearances, no runs. Four strikeouts, four walks, four heart attacks in my house. <laughs> Who gets your mound gem for the week? Going with the Wiley veteran. I'm going to give it to Bieber. They needed him to be dominant uh, against the Tigers. Jeez, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, like, again, a, a guy who is finding a way to give you quality starts every time he's on the mound. He's your ace for a reason. And to get nine Ks and not be overpowering, I'll give it to him. And I'm not taking anything away from Bybee this week because – He's young, and he bounced back and pitched a gem today. Uh, mine's going to go to Nick Sandlin. As you mentioned, he he had four innings pitched in three games. He gave up one hit uh, across those three games he appeared in, two. And in a week where we won games by one run or two runs, that was huge. You had to get that bridge in there somewhere. And thankfully, we got it to Class A in a couple situations where there was a bit of a buffer. I mean, Sandlin quietly comes out there, and as you, I forgot what you said, Gers, but his ERA was below one, right? I mean, something ridiculous that point zero eight three. Yeah, um, opponents hit point zero eight three against yeah. him. He actually gave up no, no runs, runs all week. week. I know he gave up his ERA would be zero, zero for the yeah, week. I thought I, I thought you mentioned his ERA for the season. One hit all week in three games. I like that. Good job, Nick. Big Dick Nick. Huge Nad Nick. That's there you whatever. go. Yeah, there you go. Welcome back. <laughs> well, I don't know. Let's let's. <laughs> Pump the brakes a little bit. That's a pretty oh, vaunted. We're trying to make Nads work, though, but we can't say <laughs> We don't have another nickname for Naylor. I'm going with Tanner Bybee for exactly the reason that Chuck said after he had made his selection and then gave up the answer to mine. I, I love the fact that Bybee had a rough outing against Detroit and then came back and was great today. That's a nice thing to see from a rookie because you cannot count on him to go out there and be great every start. But if he bounces back like he did, that's a good thing to see for the rest of the season. 
he gave up a run today, and I don't think he ever should have. He pitched seven shutout innings, and Francona sent him out there for the eighth, and I just don't get it. Uh, they got a day off tomorrow. They, they have Karen Check and Classe both available for the eighth and the ninth. I don't know why Bybee went out there for the eighth. Like, his job was done. He should have sat. They should have brought Karen Check out to start that inning, and he should have had a shutout today. Even so, great outing for that kid. Uh, really fun to see. Moving on, next week, guards travel to the Windy City for three against the White Sox and then to the Big Apple for three against the Mets. Neither of these teams has a winning record. Can the guards get back to 500 this week? We're two games under 500 right now. Is that right? Yes. So a four and two week. We need a four and two week. White Sox and Mets. It's on the road. But yeah, I'm going to say they do it. I'm going to say they ride this this weekend wave into the week and get four of these six games and end the week at even Steven. I don't know if um, you guys were on social media on Saturday, but this graphic, I saw it like 10 times between Facebook and Twitter. The Guardians on Saturday morning, and I assume it's the same, ranked last in home runs on base percentage and slugging and total bases and RBI and runs. That's historically shitty. It's going to be tough to get to four and two against even teams that are under 500. But I like the emotion of winning two games in a row and and Naylor hitting those bombs. And I hope it carries over and you get some good pitching. So I'm going to say yes. I think they can get to 500 this week. I'm going to say yes. And not just because I do this every week. I pick them and have winning weeks no matter what happens. But I feel like they've, they've, they've turned a corner this weekend. All of those last place things that you just listed, Chuck, this offense is not that bad. Right. They're not that bad. Like those those numbers are going to bounce back. They're not finishing last in all of those categories. I might mean, finish last in home runs uh, because Josh Bell has become like the world's greatest slap hitter, oh, and it's not hitting home <laughs> runs Singles, anymore. That's it. They're not going to finish that poorly in all of those different categories. This offense is going to be as good or better than last year's. I bet. I'm hoping they start to fire things up now. Let's let's go guards. Let's get some wins. Let's go at least four and two this week. Get back to 500. We'll probably pick up three games on the Twins because they suck too. We're going to move on. That's enough baseball. We're going to talk a little football, and you guys know what time it is. 17 Shades of Brown, our 17-week preview for the Cleveland Browns 2023 season. The Browns' front office was added again this week. The Browns traded for linebacker, pass rusher, Zadarius Smith from the Minnesota Vikings. Last season, he had 44 tackles, 10 sacks for the Vikes. Browns give up a fifth-round pick in 2024 and 2025. In return, they get Smith and sixth and seventh-round picks in 25. So, good move for what probably amounts to a one-year rental. I didn't expect them to make more moves. I thought, hey, they, they addressed some of the issues in the draft with D lineman, but I welcome it because this feels like the Cooper thing only defensively this year. You're going for a guy who is a proven veteran and all pro and can he make this team better? Yeah. I think Cooper's more than a one-year deal, but it feels the same way. Like you got him undervalued somehow. I don't know how he fits on the cap here. I have no idea how they make the money work. Oh, they've got, (laughs) remember they've got like their projected cash too, or something like that, or practical cash. Practical Practical cash is what they Uh, have. So I'll just say this. Practically, it looks like a great move for a team that 
I think um, Andrew Barry got sick of hearing people say, man, we're not addressing the D-line. And he has overcompensated tenfold with the amount yeah. of free agents, draft picks, and now this trade. So I, I like it. Everything's fine. I'll take it from Phil. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Yeah, on paper, it's a great move. I mean, we gave up nothing, right? We gave up positions we might draft a kicker in. So whatever. It's a great move because now you've got with their just their – acquisitions of proven talent this year on the defensive line you've got a three-headed monster in terms of pass pass rushers so you may not have all three of those guys on the field at the same time but two of the three are going to be out there on every down pretty much and so you've got these pass rushing specialists to get after the the quarterback and i think we'll see it's the off season as chuck said everything's fine but jim schwartz is uh you know he's he's getting the guys that he wants to play his defense the way he plays defense so we'll see how it goes Wake me up in September. I love it. You guys just lead me right into my next question. Agree or disagree? Another offseason of what appear to be really smart moves by the Browns, and it doesn't mean a damn thing yet. True. You're on to something. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Hey, listen, I don't think you can argue with the effort that they're making, but, man, we just don't know until these guys get on the field. Uh, it seems like a smart move. I like the comparison to the Cooper move. This guy is kind of that same range. He's he's not old yet, but he's been around long enough to be a proven commodity. And I think it, if nothing else, he's going to be an improvement over Clowney last year because Clowney was not good and was like not a good locker room guy last year. So you've got that coming in. I think that is helpful. You didn't give up too much. It all makes perfect sense. And I guess we'll just wait and see if all of this smart stuff on paper actually leads to a defense that can help this team win some games next season. All right, fellas, we are going to wrap up our at home segment there. We're going to take our first break. We're going to come back, talk some hoops and some more real football. <laughs> Welcome back, fellas, to our second segment. We'll head out on the road, and let's talk some NBA playoffs because it was a wild week of professional hoops. Out west, the Denver Nuggets ousted the powerful Phoenix Suns in six games. Disappointing exit for the Suns? Or what should be expected when you add a superstar near the end of the season? Well, I, I think it's a disappointing exit. You don't just pencil them in to get past Denver. Denver's been the best team in the West for the for the bulk of the season. But I'm not surprised by it. Denver's the better team. I, I was looking forward to another seven-game series between those two, though. I don't know if it's disappointing. You know, the, the Suns just, it feels much like the Sixers, which I assume you bring, like they just can't get over that hump, no matter who they bring in. And you'll probably see the roster reshaped, obviously fired their coach. But I wouldn't be disappointed, I guess, just be, just because Denver's the best team in the West and they have been for most of the season. So arguably, you know, you, a, a three-time MVP who probably should be a four-time MVP, but it just you run into that team that's that deep, you're, you're probably going to lose the series. So I wouldn't be super disappointed. I think the disappointment comes in because you add Kevin Durant to that team. And I think just as a fan or if you're just looking at it on paper, you think these guys are unstoppable. Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. These guys are going to be great. They got Chris Paul. You know, they they have enough other weapons. And the reality is, is and, and we know this from an entire season of having a superstar added to the Cavs. Like, it just takes time for these things to come together and for guys to get used to playing together and to figure out how they can be successful together. 
and it's probably unfair for all of us to be like, oh man, the Suns are unbeatable because they've added Kevin Durant when these guys have barely played together. And they ran into some injuries too. Chris Paul didn't play like the last like four games of that series, I don't think. Uh, DeAndre Ayton was hurt and or crappy. So <laughs> crappy. it's going to be something to see what the Suns do because I don't even know what their salary cap situation is with Booker and Durant. I feel like they might have like $150 million wrapped up in just those two guys for next year. So they got a lot of issues to work out in the offseason. So no, I don't think it's a, a disappointment. Uh, the Nuggets looked really, really good. Also out West, Lakers bounced the Warriors in six games. Thoughts on game six, LeBron James, 30 points, nine rebounds, nine assists. He does not look. What is he? Thirty-eight years old, twentieth season in the in the league. Like I, to do that in a in a playoff, and t- that guy is. I mean, obviously, we know he's really, really good. <laughs> he's always <laughs> been really, really good. But the the ability to continue to churn out stat lines like that in his twentieth season, it's it's a ama- it's nothing short of amazing. I mean, the guy is is he's not he's not what he was, but he's still a dominant top tier NBA player. And he's twice the age as some of the guys that are marking him in that game. It's always good when he takes off those few weeks for the blood transfusions <laughs> and the steroids <laughs> and whatever it is. Oh, whoa, to get him whoa. playoff ready. Uh, blood no, transfusions. Like, yes. But like steroids we're, we're, <laughs> is going too far. Come on. We're, we're, we're Cleveland guys. So we know what we watched for so many years. doesn't surprise me. His body hasn't broke down a little more. He plays it. A, yeah. But you can take, this show for a month straight and talk about is he the greatest player of all time if he's not he's 1b to 1a and it it, this laker team they reshaped it at the trade that it's a really good basketball team so he doesn't have to be lebron that we had to have lebron be uh, earlier in his career when it was all him uh and it helps that anthony davis is an absolute stud um i like the lake show man like i like the way they're playing basketball right now I just love the way that this guy finds a way to get it done when he needs to. You know, he didn't have to be a 30-point triple-double guy in every game of this series. But you know what? He got to that game six. He knew that they did not want to go back to to play Golden State in game seven in San Francisco. And so he got it done. And I felt like he came out aggressive in that game. I watched like the first quarter. It started at 10 o'clock. So I was proud of myself for staying up late enough to watch the first quarter of that game. They looked like they were aggressive from the jump. And LeBron was picking and choosing his spots to make plays. And he just did a great job. Uh, And it's something to see him doing it 20 years into his career. Uh, He keeps finding ways, I think, to reinvent his game or to apply his game in a different way depending on the situation whatever you want to call it Uh, but I was impressed that he was able to put up those kind of numbers play that well in that big a game Celtics in the Eastern Conference blew out the 76ers in game seven today did the 76ers lose this series today or on Thursday night when they could not close it out with a lead less than five minutes to go while they were playing at home Thursday, for sure. Um, and it's probably going to cost Doc Rivers his job, and probably it should. We're going to get to it, man. Oh, Come okay. On. Sorry. Okay. Apologies. Yes. Uh, when you're at home and you're up on a, on a team where 
I, was Thursday when Tatum really didn't have a great night, or was it the game before? So and then the last he, minute, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, and then Thursday. today just goes off. When you have a team who I thought was the best in the East on the ropes, uh, and again, it seems the Sixers go, which is so weird to say if Harden goes and Harden ain't going. How many times, it doesn't matter what jersey he's wearing, when the game is really big, a big playoff game, he is almost non-existent in his career. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, they, they should have closed out and they didn't. And this is what happens when uh, you, you play probably a better team in the Celtics. Harden was awful today. Uh-huh. Like turnovers, like falling down sometimes. Like why? Why is he on the ground right there? Like he just tripped over his own feet or something. This is a professional athlete. Like Austin Hooper. This is a guy. <laughs> yeah. This is a guy. <laughs> this is a guy who like three nights ago scored forty five. You yeah. know to help them win a game. Like what happened? I don't know. In hindsight, I think Philly lost it on Thursday because that was their opportunity. Right? It was a close game. It was at home. But this series was weird. I think today was only the second home win for any team in the entire series. So you had that going into today thinking, all right, the road team tends to win more than the home team. Maybe Philly will get something done at halftime. It was close. It was a good game. And the 76ers came out and scored 10 points in the third quarter. That's worse than Cleveland Cavalier third quarter. Like that is, that's awful. Um, And you can't win in the regular season that way, let alone in a game seven on the road. So in hindsight, I think they they lost their opportunity on Thursday. They were in it for half of Game 7 and then just were not. I thought I had like a high-level professional TV-watching schedule today where I decided like, hey, I'm going to take my dogs for their evening walk at halftime. I'll come back with like a little bit of the third quarter to go, and then I'll be able to watch the end of the game, and I'll see the best part of the game. And by the time I yeah. came back, from walking the dogs i turned the tv on and the first thing i heard was the lead is now 26 and i looked at my tv i'm like you're fucking kidding what just happened this all happened while i was walking my dogs the strangest thing about that game on thursday night was the sixers were up one point or two points with like four and a half five minutes left and it looked like they started to run like uh like a stall on offense like they were just trying to kill clock like they had a big lead and i'm watching thinking like what are you doing? Like you're only up by a basket, you know, like you can't, you can't start slowing down your offense like this. And they were just terrible. Like Embiid barely touched the ball at the end of that game. Like they really mishandled the last four minutes of that game. And I think that's what cost them the series. I I don't think there was any chance they were coming into Boston today and winning game seven. And that's not at all what happened. Moving on from the conference semifinals, let's go to one of our strong suits making predictions. <laughs> Eastern Conference Finals, Miami Heat versus the Boston Celtics. The Heat can't possibly have enough to win this series, right? That's right. Celtics in three. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to, I continue to, I can't believe the Heat are here. So they'll probably prove me wrong this entire time and somehow push that to seven games. But I can't imagine they win this series. I feel like the, the same way. How is this team, this this Heat team, where you can name maybe two guys on the roster, six undrafted guys get minutes on this team, man. And Kevin loves getting minutes on this <laughs> He's team. He's like our age. <laughs> but they find a way to win. I don't think they beat the Celtics, but I think it's going to be a better series than anybody's expecting. So I think the Celtics win, but I think the Heat make it tough like they would on any team, whoever they're playing. I didn't think the Heat was going to win in the first round. I didn't think they were going to win in the second round. 
I have no reason to think they'll win in the third, but I'll tell you what, I don't know if I'm that excited about the Celtics after that series with the 76ers, man. Like they had a lot of points in that series where they didn't look like they were that interested in playing. Maybe you can get away with that some against the 76ers, but I don't see you getting away with it against a team that has like the culture, and I hate to say it, but the heat culture, whatever you want to call it. I guess I'll go out on a limb and say the Heat's going to do it. The Heat's going to beat the Celtics and go to the finals. That's my prediction. I have no good reason why because I'm with Phil. The Celtics should win this in five, but the Heat's been so tough. We've all been sleeping on them for the entire playoffs. Maybe we should wake up. Moving on to the Western Conference, Lakers versus Nuggets. Head-to-head in their careers, Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic. Davis has averaged 25 points and eight rebounds. The Joker has averaged 18 points, nine rebounds, five assists. Who is winning that key battle in this series? If Anthony Davis plays the way he can uh, and he isn't banged up or some sort of naggy injury, that guy is a huge difference maker on defense. So, I think Davis gets the better of Joker in this series. What I think is going to happen is it comes down to resiliency and Jokic wins that battle. Uh, Somewhere in this series, if it goes long enough, Davis misses a game. He just, that's what we see out of this guy. He's so talented. He just cannot stay healthy. He gets hurt. He's going to get banged up and Jokic gets destroyed every game. He's just, he doesn't, it doesn't matter. He never gets hurt. He he comes out of every game with cuts and bruises and all right. So I think if it goes deep, I'm going to give the edge in that battle to the Joker because he can play through the physicality of it. Whereas I don't know that Anthony Davis can. It's a shame that health and injuries becomes like the deciding factor in, in this one because they're both just awesome. And, and Davis, the way Davis played in the last round for most of those games, still a little on the inconsistent side, which Jokic isn't. Jokic is the most consistent guy on the floor night in and night out. But, man, when Davis is on, he is unstoppable. Around the rim, getting to the rim, playing defense, he's just awesome. I, know, I would lean towards him just on the pure talent level, but in the end, I, I think I'm on the Joker too, man. The guy is just too good and too consistent. So who wins the series, Lakers or Nuggets? Man, I'd like to see LeBron in a NBA Finals again. Maybe a LeBron-Kevin Love NBA Finals, right? Um, but I think I think Jokic and the Nuggets win it. Jokic is – he's like the John Wick of the NBA, right? Like he doesn't look like much, uh, and, and he just can't – no one can beat him. No one can beat him. So I, I think Denver gets through. I think everything falls into place for the Lakers. Mm. I love the way they're playing right now. Maybe it's because they they beat the Warriors, who I – it's a shame. Uh, But let's be honest. Out of all the teams left on both sides, Lakers-Celtics final sounds pretty fucking awesome. Bring it. I think it comes down to the supporting casts. If Davis and Joker are the two best players on the floor and they can cancel each other out, Guess who's winning this series? The Lakers. Who's got the better <laughs> yeah, supporting yeah. cast, man? The Lakers yeah. have LeBron fucking James, man. Uh, and enough other guys like who, who are playing well. Austin Reeves and and uh, Schroeder. Angela Russell. 
Yeah. Hachimura. Yeah. D'Angelo like they, Russell. They got a pretty deep team all of a sudden. And so I, Tristan I think Thompson that, on that yeah, yeah, Tristan Thompson he is, is on that roster. He doesn't play. <laughs> no, nor should he. He's just there to be like a hype man <laughs> yeah. on the bench. <laughs> Good gig if you can get it. He's probably getting like yeah. a million five to do oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I just think that that, as odd as that sounds, it sounds, I think the Lakers have the better supporting cast after those top line guys and the Nuggets don't have much of one. And I think it could be a Lakers series, man. And I know I picked the heat, but I think we're all kind of pulling for that Lakers Celtics series, man. Yeah. That would be a lot of fun. That'll be cool. But there you go. Conference finals. I think they start on Tuesday night. The game starts. So uh, looking forward to that. But as Chuck brought up, we are already neck deep into the NBA coaching carousel. Nick Nurse is out in Toronto. Mike Budenholzer out in Milwaukee. Jimmy Haslam's a new owner. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Monty Williams out this weekend in Phoenix. So scale of one to five. One being date night with your wife. Five being your first date ever. How nervous should Doc Rivers be right now? Five, seven. It's a Burke seven. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening in the NBA right now is coaches that have proven track record of just winning. They're all getting canned. They're getting shit canned like yeah. a week, days after their season ends. And these are all winning coaches. So, yeah, Doc uh, should be shaking in his boots, I think. I'd go up to a 10 on a scale of one to five, how scared he should be. You had that series one probably on Thursday with a with a roster that's pretty great. But, again, Harden doesn't go. That team really doesn't go. Uh, and somebody that feels perfect, put it perfectly, like, all these teams are firing head coaches who are winning head coaches. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. Like, is it just going to carousel? Like the guy from the box is going to coach now the, you know, like the, the Raptors. I, I don't know, but I can't see how doc rivers can last there. They, they have to point a finger somewhere and obviously it's going to land on that dude. So he's out. I'm a five for doc. I, I think it's a, a very strong possibility. If all these other guys went, uh, that Doc goes to any chance at all. The Cavs make a move in the offseason now that you've got these proven guys out there. There's always a chance, no matter what Kobe Altman said to the cameras and on microphone, it doesn't <laughs> matter, right? It doesn't yeah. matter because, of course, you're going to lie to TV, though. No, in the moment, no, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. In the moment, he wasn't lying because none of these people were unemployed. <laughs> but now things have changed one week later. So, there's a chance, uh, you know, if you if if you look at the Cavs roster and you think a Monty Williams takes this team to the next level, I think there's conversations over the, the course of the next few weeks. Baker Mayfield is our starting <laughs> quarterback, <laughs> right? That's, yeah. Until he wasn't. Say anything, um, <laughs> man. Yeah, whatever whatever a GM or director says or an owner says means nothing if there's a better option on the market that you think can take your team to another level. Now, I'm not saying that any of these guys are the right guys. I, I don't know, but I like proven track records and I like guys who can come in and, and shake things up and see things a little differently and, and make your team better and get more out of the players who we think you could probably get more out of, but I don't know. Baker Mayfield is your starting quarterback. I don't think there's any reason to get rid of JB. 
I don't think there was a problem. I don't think he did a bad job. There's plenty of things you can always question these guys about when they're making decisions in game, after game, whatever. But if there's a better option, don't you have to look at it and take it? You don't need JB to be bad to get rid of him if you think you're improving your team. And I think the Baker thing is like the perfect example of it. We all had a lot of confidence in Baker Mayfield, even <laughs> after that bad season, because we're like, hey, he was hurt the whole year. He can come back. We've seen him do it. There was a better option, and they made the move. Um, and we still don't know if it was a good one yet. We know getting rid of Baker was okay, but we don't know that that, that was a better move or not. We won't for a while, I don't think. But I, I don't know. I don't know what level of nervousness JB should have right now, but there's certainly a possibility that something like this happens. I'd love it. I'd love for it to be Budenholzer so he can come back into town and then like move next door to Haslam and like egg his house or something <laughs> like that. And fire him into <laughs> All right. Hey, real fast. The XFL championship was this weekend. Not that anybody noticed the renegades beat the defenders on Saturday night. Youngstown's own Bob Stoops is the renegades coach. This is his fifth championship, two national championships as a college assistant two as a head coach at Oklahoma. Where do you think this one ranks? Number one, dead last. <laughs> no. I'll go right in the middle. Three. All right. <laughs> With that, we're going to close out this segment. We'll take our final break. We're going to come back, head off the field, and start solving the world's problems. Welcome back, fellas, to our final segment. We'll head off the field. And welcome to our first ever From the Land problem solvers where we help solve some of the biggest problems facing the world. Now I thought about starting tonight with climate change or political polarization, but felt like those could wait since there's something far more pressing on May 2nd, members of the writers guild of America went on strike. This shuts down production of late night TV shows, Saturday night live TV shows and production for later this year. And I can only assume like two or three Fast and Furious movies that are probably in the pipeline. Do they have writers for those? <laughs> no. Somebody's got to draw it up a little bit, I think. <laughs> anyway, the Writers Guild represents almost 12,000 writers. This is their first labor strike since 2007. And at least the reporting right now seems to indicate that this one may last a while. So... Which show that may be impacted by the writer's strike are you most concerned about missing? Jeopardy? The next season of Stranger Things? New Night Court? Or something called Bunked on the Disney Channel? These, these are the only options? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what were the first two? Jeopardy and bunked. Stranger Things. I, I would say Stranger Things because I actually enjoy that show. But I would assume it's got to be written already so if it is written can they not shoot it what is the deal i don't think it's fully written and i think part of the problem is is that you have writing that happens naturally as the yeah, show is being filmed and created and stuff like that and if you don't have the writers there for that now i don't know man like i guess like the key grip could write something right <laughs> like i mean anybody can write or like scab, have scab. A special skill <laughs> crossing picket lines <laughs> Uh, I'll say Stranger Things. It's the one thing I really enjoy. Though, though Jeopardy, there's nothing wrong with Jeopardy. Why do they need writers for Jeopardy? <laughs> I don't understand. 
who the hell's writing all the questions? That's disrespectful to me as a question writer. That's, yeah. that's a, no, no, no. And the playful banter. Like, I feel like the host should do the heavy lifting there and just you just Google some questions. It's trivia. You think Trebek wrote all those questions? No, you know no, no. Questions that is, man. Host. There's like five rows. <laughs> five rows. There's double <laughs> three rounds. rounds. Man. Yeah. Jesus. There's video just ones. Go, to, the, no go way. to Will Ferrell. Go to the Will Ferrell Jeopardy. It'd be fine. Uh, but no, I I agree with Chuck. Uh, of those options, Stranger Things. Um, until you mentioned that, I kind of forgot that series wasn't over. I really enjoyed that series. It didn't end last season. Like, I'm looking forward to the next season. I think they've got another yeah, season of yeah. it coming. So, And it's going to be delayed, I think, because of the writer's strike. Yeah, I think Stranger Things or Jeopardy would have been my choices. Now, of those shows that I named, which one would be the best fit for you as a scab writer? Well, clearly Jeopardy, because all I have to do is Google some questions. <laughs> <laughs> i'm on it uh, yeah i think i'll join phil in the, the jeopardy writing room how hard could it be for him to say hey chuck google the answer to this question and then i do that and we've written who show. is alexander hamilton <laughs> i think you guys are being super disrespectful to the process oh. of writing questions um you've just described the process to write one question you haven't even come up with the categories with yet no you guys warning. are gonna come up with you're going to come up with five potent potables? Yes. I think absolutely. Oh, I could do it. I could do it. I like, I guess they do that every day. They, they film a lot every day, though. Maybe maybe I've overestimated. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> what my, yeah. my Googling talent. We'll see, scabs. Uh, I'm, going with, I'm going with Night Court. I can just write a bunch of funny stories about things that have happened to me in court. That'll be pretty good. I'll go with that one. Well, let's get a little bit more serious. Um, one of the big issues in the writer's strike is over the future of AI and what role it will play in writing going forward. Now, I think our first step in assessing this issue is to find out really how much of a threat is AI to writers right now. So I asked you guys to jump back onto chat GPT and ask it to write a short pitch for a TV show. So what was your prompt and what did Chatty G come up with for you? Uh, I said, well, I should set this up. Obviously, we're watching a lot of Succession, and it's beyond great. But also, Tombstone was on twice this week, and I watched it uh, both times. I said, write me a pitch for a TV show like Succession, but as a Western. Uh, and the title is Heirs of the Frontier. I'll read the log line. Yeah, in the cutthroat world of a sprawling Western ranching empire, a fiercely ambitious family battles for control. Their struggles of power, betrayal, and legacy playing out against the backdrop of an untamed frontier where loyalty is tested, alliances are forged, and the price of success exacts a heavy toll. Now, I've never seen one episode of Yellowstone, but I'm assuming that's what that yeah, is. Yeah, I think, I think you did. I think you just wrote Yellowstone. <laughs> well, I asked ChatGPT to write me a storyline for a show about an attorney by day and a podcaster by night <laughs> named Jason that rallies the town people to save the local clock tower. Right. And Chet GPT did not disappoint. Excellent. I'll just read the, uh, the opening paragraph. Meet Jason Smith, a successful attorney at a prestigious law firm in the heart of a small town by day. Jason is a force to be reckoned with in the courtroom, taking on tough cases and always fighting for justice. But by night, Jason has a secret passion. 
podcasting. <laughs> it goes on from there. There's a whole lot of historical stuff. Jason uses his legal powers to save the clock's tower. And if I go to the end paragraph, it says, Today, the clock tower stands tall and proud, thanks to in large part to Jason's tireless efforts and Jason's podcast continues to be beloved, a beloved part of the town's culture, <laughs> bringing together people from all works of life to celebrate their shared history and community. I thought it was pretty good. I like that. It's like a limited series. Yeah. Like it ends. Like I saved oh, yeah. the clock. This tower. is like a you six, know, six episode like five, yeah, five yeah, six. Yeah. 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 All right. So my query to chat GPT was to write a short pitch for a dramedy about three friends, Gerber, Chuck, and Denko, who podcast from Westeros about the Dance of Dragons. <laughs> oh, no. And what it came up with was, in a land obsessed with dragons, magic, and intrigue, Westeros Waves, the Dance of Dragon Chronicles, is a delightful dramedy that follows the hilarious misadventures of three unlikely friends, which I thought was unnecessary. Yeah. Wow. ChatGPT yeah. throw that in. Hurts. Gerber... A history enthusiast with an encyclopedic knowledge of Westeros lore is the passionate and slightly eccentric host of the podcast. Chuck, a laid-back joker and a diehard dragon fanatic, brings hey. a comedic flair to the show with his outrageous theories and constant pop culture references. Denko, the tech-savvy friend, serves as the podcast's producer, ensuring their banter is expertly recorded and shared with listeners across the realm. Along the way, Gerber, Chuck, and Denko navigate their personal lives, love interests, and the challenges of friendship in a world where dragons, politics, and unexpected alliances can change everything. So, after all of that, my sense is the writers should probably be worried about AI, because it's come up with some pretty good shit already, and we barely gave it a chance. The artificial intelligence issue is an interesting one, because what the writers seem to be fighting for in this strike is they want the able the ability to use ai to help them in writing their stuff but they don't want the studios to be able to use it so much that writers aren't needed anymore so whose side are you on well i'm i'm on the the writer's side i it's i read through a lot of the stuff you sent us and it seems the ai thing's an interesting piece right i thought at first they'd be dead set against it like get this out of here they're going to take our jobs, right? Instead, they want to use it, which comes off as laziness in my mind. Like, come on, man. Like, what? Yeah. But you're still on their side? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I am overall. Uh, but in terms of the, the AI thing, that was an interesting piece. Like, they want to use that as a tool, which makes me wonder, like, what makes you a good writer? If, you know, like, what you're just you're doing what we just did. We're just typing some shit into, into chat GPT and coming out like, yeah, I have a great idea. We've got dragon saving clock towers in middle America or whatever the hell. So I still come down on the writer's side overall, but the, the AI thing was an interesting piece. The thing that scares me first and foremost is that you started talking about dragons and now it makes me realize is house of dragon going to be delayed even longer than we would have to wait because of a writer's strike. I have an answer for that. I read about uh, it. Oh, so they, I don't think it is. No. It, it, it didn't show up on any of the lists okay, that I great. saw here's, shows that maybe Here's delayed. why. I read another article. The The writing is finished. So those those shows can, can continue to be, you know, just built and, and filmed and these kind of things. But to Gerber's earlier point, the problem is they, the risk they run is they're now filming and they can't do rewrites. And that happens yeah. all the time, especially sure. with grandiose shows like House of the Dragons. 
So that's yeah. the issue. And they said something, it was funny that you said the key grip could do it. It actually said that if like the house of the dragons, if there's a rewrite now it's up to the actors and the director. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> right. Like that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Like, oh. Can you imagine the actors be like, you know what we're going to do here? <laughs> like, we're just, yeah. I'm going to murder yeah. everybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay. So it can continue, but they can't do rewrites in real time. I guess. So now that that's out of the way, whose side am I on? I think I'm on the writer's side, but, but reading about it, it seemed like the term I kept hearing was small room or something along those lines where they want a number of people in there to generate ideas, which I understand. However, if you look at any industry over the last 10 years, it's less with more. They've eliminated people and you're expected to just pick up the slack. Why wouldn't that affect writers or whoever else? So I, while I'm on their side, I understand the use of of AI to, to write because these are creative people. And sometimes it might take a weird idea from somebody else. So why couldn't it be AI? Not to say it would script the entire show, but if if there's some idea that comes out of it, they can massage and make their series or show or movie or whatever better. I, I like that as a tool. I think we're seeing where this stuff is landing in almost every industry. So why wouldn't it affect that one? Uh, but it doesn't mean I'm not on the writer's side. So I don't think they need huge writer rooms where 20 guys are writing a, a monologue for late night. I don't I don't think you need that anymore. Much like you don't need 50 guys on an assembly line to build a, an Oldsmobile or, or a Ford. But I'll be on, I'll, I, yeah, I'll stick with the writers, I guess. They're humans. Oh, you pinko commies. Uh, I'm on the side of the studio. Come on. Like you, you want to use it, but you only want to use it a little bit. You know, I think that in the end, and we're actually going to get Chuck is already kind of touching on something I want to talk about at the end of this, but we, we are getting into a place where technology is going to change every job. It's going to happen in this one and AI is going to do it. And all jokes aside, I don't think AI is taking anybody's job anytime soon because chat GPT sucks at writing shows, <laughs> but it's something they got to worry about in the future. And I think they also got to worry about when AI generates, like if you if AI generates a line for a character in your show, who owns that show or who owns that line? Like, does the writer get credit for that or does AI get credit for it? Or does the studio just get the value of it? I, I don't know. Those are some of the issues they got to work out, but it AI is coming to the writer's room. I don't think there's any chance they avoid that. Now, the biggest issue that they are facing in the strike is that the current agreement between the writer's guild and the studio's, that was signed in like 08 includes residuals for shows airing on traditional TV and cable television, but nothing for streaming services because in 2008, it wasn't happening like it is now. I don't think they could have even envisioned what we see now. The writers want that residual for streaming. They want that money. Uh, studios love money, but not sharing it. Somebody's going to have to blink on this one. Who do you think blinks first? studio has to blink there had to be some sort of language in 2008 about future earnings on different platforms that they didn't even know existed yet like that had i assume that had to be somehow covered if not that's reason alone for this strike most consumption of shows movies what is happening on streaming platforms and i don't know what the pie cut up is i don't know if that means if you're a writer and whatever show is being streamed if you're getting 14 cents for that but still that's where that's where everything's moved and that's where everything's moving. So why wouldn't you protect your your creative 
to make sure you're making money on that in perpetuity. Like it's just like if if Seinfeld continues to run, those guys continue to make money off of TBS, off of Fox, off of whoever runs it. Why aren't you making money then off of Peacock and Netflix and Paramount Plus? Like it, that language needs to be added into a contract because that's where people, much like music, will make the bulk of their revenue from as a writer or a creator. I think the hole in that agreement in 2008 is that they didn't link any of the residuals for streaming to like views. Like they weren't thinking about it in that term yet where you're going to have Stranger Things gets viewed 15 million times in a week when it first comes out. You know, like they, I think that's, that's the hole they're trying to fill. I think what's happened here is you guys have already touched on it is, is in 2008, you couldn't even envision what this has become and the language in the contract it has to be torn up and, and redone at this stage because of what we know is they got like a they got a a flat rate if if your show was just on a streaming platform and writers are getting checks in the mail for two and three cents it's it's that's their portion of this flat rate and a lot of a lot of streaming platforms still operate under that where these shows are given a flat rate like here you go uh, we're going to give you x amount of millions of dollars and we're just going to run we're just going to put your show on our platform. Well, the views come into play then, right? Like, all right, that's great. But if if the views are one of your, you know, you use Spotify as a good analogy or or music, I guess, in general, as a good analogy, if someone's just getting listen after listen after listen after listen in the millions and billions, like, all right, there should be a different scale for that kind of thing. Because in the past, once shows got into, uh, Seinfeld's a good example. So it, it, it anything that goes into, um what do they call it when they're on reruns all the time? Syndication. syndication. Thank you. Uh, once it goes into syndication, like these people are getting residuals at high rates based on the the networks that are picking them up for syndication for doing nothing else. Like that that stuff's already done. It's done. They're not working. They're just getting checks in the mail. And the, the streaming platform, it just wasn't geared into the contract that way. And it should be because now this is the main the main mode of our consumption of all these shows is through a streaming platform. This all leads to really what kind of the big picture question is. This appears to me to be a strike about technology. And is this something that's unique to writing for entertainment? Or is this really a microcosm of the rest of the economy where technology is driving us towards cheaper remote type of work opportunities and away from traditional work environments with more structure? And I think a perception of more job security. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How's that for an answer? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess really the question is are these issues unique to this industry or is this really just what's happening everywhere? I think it's more the latter, right? It's it's something that's happening everywhere and as it as it puts its fingerprint on each industry, they've got to figure it out. And especially when you're talking about the multimedia industries, right? Be it music, be it TV, be it movies, they can take advantage of it, but it, but at some point someone loses there. So how do they rearrange the rules and rearrange how these folks go to work and make a living to fit the way that we, the consumer now get music get movies, get TV, get all this multimedia stuff. It's so yeah, it's a it's a technology thing for sure. The goalposts have been moved, so to speak, and now you have to re rewrite the rules, I think, for the people involved. It's a little bit of both. There have been cutbacks in literally of almost every industry that all of us work in. And technology is making it easier for ownership or studio or whoever to 
pay less when it comes to salary, insurance, whatever. However, reading the articles you sent us, there was one line, and I don't remember which one of us is, that I read four times. This is why I think it's a little bit of both. AI-generated material cannot be copyrighted. If it can't be copyrighted, studios need to protect themselves from that so they can copyright it, so they can make more money in long term, whether it's in syndication or in whatever it is. I didn't know that, right? Like, because you're going to go, oh man, we can get rid of all these writers and AI will catch up and we'll have these great shows. Well, you can't copyright it. And if you can't copyright it, it means we can't hold residual. We can't make money off it however we choose, whether it's selling it on streaming platform or DVD or whatever it is. Same thing with music. If you look at it that way, I think it's going to be a little bit of both until that language gets changed, which I assume some heavy hitter studios will try to get that change if they want to move to a more AI-based form of writing. If you can't copyright AI-generated materials, how can you own it for whatever, for however long, whatever it is? I know like Winnie the Pooh just went into public domain and you can do whatever you want with it. But how long did Disney make money or whoever made Winnie the Pooh? How long did they make money off that? 70 years? Yeah. Longer? Yeah. So if you can't copyright AI-generated materials, either something's going to happen where there's a loophole or there's a lie or there's one dude who just basically types in stuff and they all he gets the credit for the writing. It's going to affect this, right? A lot of honestly, at the end of the day, in the next five to 10 years, more people are going to lose their jobs and their careers than has in the history of the workforce for this world. It's just, it's going to happen because everything becomes easier with AI, everything, but creative people are weird birds, man. They've always been weird birds and they have a, a very inflated self-worth when nobody can do this much like everybody else, whatever you do, whatever your job is, nobody can do it better than me. Bullshit. A lot of things can do it better with you and AI is going to do it better than you can in the next three to five years. So that's the one thing that I want to sit on. If you cannot copyright AI generated material, how do studios protect themselves for their shows, for their creative? I, I don't know unless that verbiage gets changed. First of all, it's it's hard to imagine how, especially right now, although I'm sure it could happen in the future, something could be entirely created by AI. Like I suppose if you said AI write me an episode of friends or something like that. Uh, maybe it could write a whole episode and then that wouldn't be protected, but you could, you can use AI to help you write and what you, your finished product is going to be copyrightable. It'll be protected. That That's not the issue. And you know what? These guys are going to go to Congress with all their money and they're going to find a way to rewrite the copyright laws to make sure this yeah. can be protected. So I'm, I'm not that worried about the studios. As I'm not with most major industries, they seem to figure out a way to do okay because they can just change the rules. I do look at this as something that's happening everywhere in our work economy. I would say right now on this show, Phil might be the only one who is immune from this because yeah. he does a job where he needs to be in touch with people. I can do everything now for my entire job sitting at my desk at home. I don't even need to go to court anymore. I can do it all from here, you know, wearing a shirt and tie and boxers and, you know, everything is good. Everything is great, you know, and that's, that is a change from when I worked at a law firm with 50 attorneys and a hundred employees and it was a big office and there were people around and you needed them all for everything. And technology has changed the way that it's happening. And I think Phil's right, man. Like we are going to see this 
and so much more of that rearranging like ah we gotta we gotta change the rules to account for all this stuff now and it's not just ai i know that that was a big part of what we talked about but there's just a lot going on out there that is going to change things and i think that this strike is a microcosm of what's happening in the rest of our economy every industry is going to face this there's a nice happy ending to (laughs) that thing why don't we (laughs) move on and talk about some succession a little bit seven episodes down a new one tonight and the end keeps getting closer based on last episode is tom wamsgans the worst gift giver ever (laughs) yeah sure when you have to explain the gift and then also tell them that it's funny you're screwed (laughs) because <laughs> you shouldn't have to explain the gift. And if you have to tell someone it's funny, it's it's not. Chuck, did you give Whitney a scorpion <laughs> in like a glass jar for uh, Mother's Day today? I did not. Only because we watched the episode before Mother's Day or I would Good have. timing. Yeah. yeah. Ran to the store to return <laughs> yeah. that one? I did, yes. So if you had to choose uh, now seven episodes in, the actor who has been the best so far this season mm. on this show, who would it be? Damn, man. That's rough. It might be a, oh, this was a really Shiv-centric episode, but I think for this, Tom, the guy, whoever, whatever that guy's name is. Don't know. Yeah, I don't know it either. He has been fantastic in almost every scene he's been in. Connor was my dark horse very early on in the season, but I said they're probably going to move him out and he's going to get less screen time, and he has. But Tom, the range that dude has shown, especially this episode, that masterpiece of an argument on the balcony, which was so brutal, but a masterpiece in acting on both their parts. A guy who we thought has done nothing, but like this dude now can... Can I can watch him probably do anything, but I'm gonna always see him as Tom, which is a testament to how well he's doing on this show. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say he is my my leader right now through episode seven, right? Six or seven? Through seven. seven. Yeah. So who has done the best job acting this season? It's um I think it is Tom as well. Like that guy is I I, I get caught in his just his response and expressions to things even as much as the writing for him, the, the the words that he says, like the guy has been through some shit and he's still like, you know, he's kissing ass and playing like he's fighting for his future. Really? I mean, that's what he's doing. I think the guy that's playing that role has done a phenomenal job in this season and coming into this season. Maybe this is why I feel this way, because I think it's like, it's such a huge growth for that, that character coming into the season. He had a an important role, but I had him just as slightly above cousin Greg, you know, and, and yeah. And and now <laughs> yeah, this season, yeah. and and not that the other, I mean, the other actors are doing a phenomenal job. Of course, it's just such a good show, but Shiv and Tom are very, very British people. So, Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So like put that into the mix. And when you watch them, like, wow, these guys are really good at what they're doing. So I agree with Chuck it. Tom's the actor playing Tom is doing a phenomenal job so far in this season. I'm going with Sarah Snook. That's the actress that plays Shiv. She was, again, on the balcony in episode seven, was just so outrageously good Um, from angry to hurt to scared to him saying to her that she shouldn't be a mom while she's pregnant and he doesn't know it. Just incredible. And you go back to remember the last scene in the first episode was when Shiv and Tom decided they were getting divorced. That was incredible. The conference room where she's in there with 
Kendall and Roman and she's saying them like, Hey, look at me, lie to my face, lie to my face. I know who you are. You know, God, she was great in that. But that scene on the balcony did it for me, man. She's just been outstanding. I, I think she's really talented. That, of course, they're all great. But I would say she's been she's been the one that I, I I've watched the most, I think, or focused on the most, or just you know, just caught my attention the most throughout the entire season. She was really great. What's coming next week? What's coming in this episode tonight? I don't know. <laughs> probably <Nope>. um <laughs> I also don't know. <laughs> uh, probably some more dysfunction because the watching this season and almost all seasons and all that. What I'm what I'm really realizing is no one is emotionally healthy on the show. Not one Ooh, character God, no. is emotionally healthy. <laughs> uh, what do I think is coming? I, I hope that the table turn that Kendall Hicks suggested the reverse Viking uh, that they would eat up Gojo. I thought the best line in this whole episode was one head, one crown. And I was like, oh, man, like he's 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 I love him. He's talking about his siblings like I love him, but I yeah, really need him. I'm not in love yeah. with him. Yeah. I, I like the. Yeah, yeah, I love the power move he's making. So uh, with only three episodes left, uh, I, I hope that he eats up. Go like, I love the fact that there's a little kink in Madsen's armor. They find out he might be bullshit uh, and they can just devour his company instead of the other way around. So with three episodes left, we've got two things that we know has to happen at some point during these, well, at least two, two for sure in these next three episodes. And one is the, the whole Matson thing. Like, all right, does, yeah, does, do they take Gojo over with all the, you know, with their funny numbers or what have you? That's one thing that's going to work itself out maybe as soon as this next episode. So it isn't dragged all the way to the end. The other thing is uh, Logan Roy's actual funeral. This guy's been yeah. in, in yeah. state, so to speak, for what seems like a month. Like, I don't know. Um, so those two things are going to happen. And I, I feel like one of them might happen in this next episode because I don't think both of those things find its way all the way to the final episode um, because there's other things. All right. Like, where is this going forward? Who wears that crown? Is it Kendall? Is it Roman? You know, what happens there? So. I, I, I'm guessing. I don't know. Every time I try to guess about this episode, they kill someone off or something crazy happens. So I'm guessing in this this next episode, one of those two things happens. The end of the Gojo stuff or finally Logan Roy is put to rest. They also have the election. I know that's that's happening. Yeah, I, think right? the, yeah. I think the election is yeah. like the main thing in this next episode. So there's still a lot. There's still a lot to go, but I think it's going to shift now. I think you're right. I think the Gojo thing is going to go away one way or another. And I think these last couple episodes might really be about the kids battling to, to take over the company. We'll see. Oh, but we can finally talk about something fun. Ted Lasso <laughs> best moment from last week's episode, Rebecca yelling at Roy and the team's response. Higgins poorly timed halftime joke. Nate choosing his girlfriend over Rupert and his horse. What Roy calls the reporters during the press conference. I don't know if you caught this, but excellent. He calls he calls one of them five o'clock shadowhead, shadowhead yeah. new Trent and Goblin King. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Which of those was the best moment? Oh my God. I'm gonna I'm gonna danko all over this. These are all such great moments. But I like in my notes as I rewatched it, and I, I did I like all four of those options. I really do. I really, really liked Roy Kent's presser, man. Like that. Like yeah. On rewatch, like it was good the first time. Don't get me wrong. It was awesome. It was great the way it unfolded. But some of the like subtleties that came out and, and 
the what what he said or what was said to him. I'm like, oh, that was such a good moment in that show. I really enjoyed it. I'm going with the the standoff between Rebecca and Roy because finally somebody put him in his place and called him out instead of tiptoeing around it. And the character development was he got it. Like he understood instead of just being more hardened to it, he understood what was going on and kind of accepted it. So that's my favorite part of the episode. I'm going with Higgins halftime joke. I could not stop laughing. Sorry about my dad. It was a horrible, horrible thing. Like, Hey, the guy's been thrown out of the stadium and sorry about my dad. Oh, not the right time for a joke. I thought that was fantastic. He yelled at himself. I thought this was the most lasso episode of the season. The most kind of combination of uplifting good storylines with great humor and stuff like that. That was a that was a really good episode, man. I think that show's really starting to pick up some steam. But fellas, geez, yeah. we are like for real out of time this time. <laughs> I am out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that Todd Bowles the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach earned his college degree this weekend at 59 years old with that news that someone better be telling the high school class of 2023 to consider NFL head coach instead of college. (laughs) I hope you guys have a great week and let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely. The heat, the heat can't possibly. <clears throat> Let's try that again. <clears throat> I didn't think the Heats were going to win in the. <clears throat> Jesus, I didn't think the Heat was going to win in the first round. Uh, who's a? Uh, forgetting the guy's name now. The point guard. Um, yeah. What's his name? I can't remember. Russell? Magic Johnson. <laughs> Magic Johnson's playing. God, his man. <laughs> It's good. <laughs> uh, enough talking about LeBron. Johnson's like 16. He's out there putting up numbers. No, no. What, what was the guy that got booted from yesterday's game? Seven. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I, I, uh, I, you, I go. You, Phil, do you yeah. have an answer? Well, I said a Burke seven. Do you want to, you want to add to yeah, it? Do you want to? I just feel like the go the um. This this shuts. <clears throat> it cut out. All right. Yeah, that was some. I'm I'm unstable. Did it cut that out? That was completely? some. That was some bad internet. I think we got everything. Uh, no, I can we got everything. But yeah, no, we yeah. got it. No, I can. <laughs> Good. All I right. can put that together. Don't worry Thank about you. it. Uh, and I okay. do not, under any circumstances, want to lose the line. He doesn't have to be the LeBron that he had to be when we had him beat the LeBron. <laughs> yeah. Or like yeah. That, that was a, yeah. that was like a that Ted was Lasso line brilliant. right there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Made perfect sense. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna touch on the uh, the spectacle that was the the schedule release that the NFL tries Jeez, to make oh, like man. the draft 2.0 uh, every year. Like what? They well, made it. I, I, I wanted worse. to cut us short at 20 minutes. Yeah. That's about, we were just going yeah. over 20 minutes, but uh scale of one to five, one being who wins the XFL championship five being who wins the Kosar cup on our yearly trip. How much <laughs> do you care about the schedule release last week? A one. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Although I did, I did immediately play the Brown schedule game in my head. Immediately. Yeah, so did I. Uh, Where'd you nine end up? And eight. Nine and eight. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Put me down for nine and eight. <laughs> I didn't like those first four oh, weeks. God. <laughs> it just looked yeah. like a nine and eight season. Like, here we go. I didn't make it past them. I'm like, oh, that's an early buy. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty, I guess. It's yeah, nice. I know. Yeah. yeah, week five. Really I think the early buy sucks, yeah. but um, yeah. but yeah, a lot of division games right off right yeah, off the bat, man. Shoot. Hey, let's do yeah. it, man. Maybe we'll right. be in first place by by that uh, by that bye we week. We start at home against week Cincinnati, five. right? I think it's at home against the Bengals. Yeah, yeah, yep. Good. Those tickets will. I'll get a pretty penny for those tickets. That's right. <laughs> They're they don't have a losing record yet. <laughs> <laughs> week one. <laughs> Regardless, if they do that or build a new stadium, the problem is there's no, there's been no real talk as to how much the Cleveland tax will pay for it. You know, yeah. so is it a yeah. syntax thing again, or is it a huge hike for all of Cuyahoga County? Is like tax and smokes, man. Well, yeah. it's how we build our stadium. The, the, obviously, like on the talk radio, anyway. Nicotine yeah, right. <laughs> on the on the talk radio, it's it's all about all right, Haslam's like billions of dollars just pony up yeah. the dough because yeah. here we are supporting your team through a lot of shit right the problem is yeah. they know that so whatever what are people not going to go to the games if all of a sudden they're paying extra tax on beer and cigarettes to, to build a new stadium probably not but i don't know so i don't know when the timing of that has to happen like when if there is a schedule, well, I mean, it's like just, if they even have yeah, like a projection years yeah. in the making for something like that to happen. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess if there's an option Tax of weed, new... man, my gosh, man, yeah, build two new stadiums in like a year. Well, we gambling. don't even have legal <clears throat> weed sales. Yet. Yeah. That's the problem is uh, the gambling you do. Yeah, though. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah, yeah, you get gambling yeah. and, and recreational weed. Uh, those two things will pay for the best stadium in, in the league, right? You can build <laughs> yeah. three stadiums. Yeah, <laughs> one on top of the other. The Browns, exactly. the Browns will be the, We're on the remember, third level today. <laughs> remember when we talked about watching games below, from underneath yeah, the yeah, field? Yeah, yeah. That was a long time <laughs> <Yeah>. ago. <laughs> the Browns will set the new trend where they have an alternate stadium, like an alternate uniform. Yeah. They go play at yeah. another stadium yeah. on yeah. Thursday night. Yeah. Our Jeez. special game, our night stadium. <laughs> this is the one that has lights. There's no seats. <laughs> it's all standing room gambling sections. But who's better at striking, writers <laughs> or athletes? Like who's who's done a better job? Because it's kind of the same problem. Is that like the writers are to me more of why you watch something than the studio? You know what I mean? I do not give a fuck if Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Prime, those are the ones that I get, um, whether they create the show. I don't care which channel it's on. Right. I care about yeah. the show. I care about the writers. Same as I could give a fuck who owns the Browns. I'm going to go watch the players play their game. You know, um, I don't know who's better. I, I don't know. But it seems like maybe the writers are better at striking than athletes. If you're looking historically, who's been ahead of the curve when it comes to technology, when it comes to this porn. Oh Yeah. They were the first to go to like yep. VHS and Betamax. They were first to go to streaming. They were first to go to a paywall. 
if you see what they're doing right now, yeah. maybe that's what traditional TV and film are doing in a couple of I'll years. I'll tell you who the worst at striking is. Porn stars. <laughs> there's no way they've ever had a successful streak. No. There's always <laughs> someone who will do it for less. <laughs> yeah. 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 They got no union. Yeah. They got no union. They should. Yeah. I don't know. Really? Are they part of like the Screen Actors Guild or something like that? I mean, they're they're yeah, paid know. actors. Wait a minute. What would it be? The Porn Stars Actors Guild. The Pasag. <laughs> Pasag. <laughs> Oh, it's APAG. APAG. The yeah, Adult but, Performance Artist Guild. Yeah, they just use better words wow. than I did. Nice. APAG. Yeah. <laughs> they have APAG awards? APAG awards. They probably do. So somebody named, in 2018, somebody named Alana Evans became the president, taking over for Shawn Michaels. Is that the wrestler? Wait, what? <laughs> The heartbreak kid, right? I'm I'm on APADS, APAG's uh, Wikipedia page. Pornographic actors, strippers, and other sex workers. Oh, nothing about a strike. Oh, and Alana Evans retired from working in the pornographic as a pornographic actor upon assuming the presidency. Well, oh, you can't. You can't do both. There's no time. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, we, did we did it. it. We did it. Again. Again. It's after right. I'm really tired. Yeah. Now. Yeah. For sure. Good show, fellas. Yeah. It was a good time. Yeah. Good time. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for sharing your Mother's Day with me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Brothers from another mother. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. All right, guys. Have a great night, fellas. Was a lot of fun. All right. See you soon. Love Love you guys. Love you guys. Bye. What do you mean I'm funny? Funny like a clown? You didn't use you.